Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. The challenge right now that we're kicking off today is love does. We've been going through a series all year long on love, and we've dug into Paul's definition of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient, love is kind, it is not rude or self-seeking, it's not boastful, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. We've talked about what love is and about what love is not, but we've not talked about what love does. And so as we kick off this campaign about what love does, we're going to unpack what love does, okay? So what does love do? Actually, in order to understand what love does and what love is, I want to refresh our memories from January when I did one of my first sermons kicking off this series or theme of love this year, and that was 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, which should be on the overhead back there. And it goes like this. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love And then there are three words. What are those three words that are underlined? God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Now, out of the very essence of God's love, which is God himself, that is the very nature of who he is, when we talk about this agape love, and that word in Greek in that passage, God is agape, which means selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. Do you remember that definition I gave you months ago if you were with us then? Selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love is agape love. It's a kind of love we find in John 3, 16. It's a kind of love where Jesus says, you should love one another. They will know you are my followers by your love for one another. That kind of love is agape love. And that's the same word that is used in 1 John chapter 4 where John says God is agape. He is selfless, sacrificial, unconditional. That is what, not that you can define God per se, but that that is the characteristic of his very essence. So now let's look at this idea of love being the very essence of who God is. And we turn to Matthew chapter one. How many of you know what is in Matthew chapter one? Well, you're probably thinking, Brandon, it's not Christmas time yet. You are correct. But I'm going to read you the Christmas narrative in Matthew chapter 1 really quickly this morning. This is how Jesus was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. Not the Joseph of the Old Testament we talked about, but Joseph in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through the processes of copulating the marriage with Joseph. She became pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiance, was a good man and didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, Joseph, son of David, The angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. 
Look, the virgin will conceive a child. This is from the book of Isaiah. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, pause for a minute before we go on to the last little bit of that. God is love, and at a point, point in time in history, the Holy Spirit conceived a child in Mary, a virgin. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, don't fear to take Mary as your wife. Actually, you are to name this child. Call him Jesus, which means to save. And then, I want you to know this fulfills a prophecy in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord speaking to Joseph. And that prophecy is that a virgin will conceive, she will bear a son or a child, a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. What does that mean? Let's, let's translate that back a little bit. Who is God? God is love. God is with us means love is with us. So Joseph woke up from his dream. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until the son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Now, one final passage of scripture. I'm, I'm shooting you like a shotgun with scripture this morning. Let's look at this. Matthew chapter 5, great sermon on the mount. Last uh, year, uh, or the year before last, gosh, has it been two years already? I did the Sermon on the Mount theme and series. In Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out, trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket or a bowl. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So how can we love others? If God is with us, what did God give up? I talked to my class about that this morning. God is love and God is with us through Jesus Christ. What did God have to sacrifice and give up to be with us? Read Philippians chapter 2. Mark that in your Bibles. Because Paul gives us this great description of who Jesus is. That who being very God did not consider equality with God something to be attained. So he emptied himself. You'll see that terminology, emptied himself, so that he could dwell with us. Why did he have to empty himself? Because if you go all the way back to the Old Testament, the full embodiment of the full glory of God himself could not stand before men and they stay alive. We know this because Moses said, I'd love to see you face to face, God. Can I just see you? And God says, no, that can't happen because if you see me face to face, you'll die. So he hides him in the cloud of the rock. God's presence, full glorious presence passes by and then God lets Moses see the after effect of the presence of God. And he can't withstand even the after effect because when he comes down off the mountain, he is aglow. So much so that the people who are down at the bottom of Mount Sinai, the Israelites say, ah! That's exactly what they did. I have a video recording of it. You didn't realize Mount Sinai has surveillance. 
So God is love, God is with us, and now God gives us the command to be with others. We are to be salt and light. So how can we be present with others? Here's the key point this morning. Just as God is present with us and just as God is love to us, we need to be present with others. We need to be proud. Some people are fun to be with, aren't they? Think of people right now in your life that you're like, oh, I, can't, I love spending time with them, right? There are people that just, when you think about them, a smile comes across your face and you're like, yes, right? Now think of somebody you don't like to be with. What comes to mind? Yes, I can't wait to be with them. Or is that I can't wait to beat them? <laughs> right? Well, what comes to mind? You see, there's this thing in Christianity we call the ministry of presence. The ministry of presence. Not P-R-E-S-E-N-T, but P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. The ministry of presence. And that is being present with others. Did God have to be present with us? I mean, read the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. God's people, and even before God selected the people through Abraham, even before that, God's, the people of the earth were always rejecting God. God would try to come and help them or be with them, and what would they do? They would reject him, or they would worship other gods, which are not really gods, they're just carved little statues, or, or they would worship, we don't have carved statues, actually, we do have graven images, and, and uh, do you have one? Here's one, there are tons of images on here called Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, um, a bunch of different things. And you see a bunch of different images. How much time do you spend with this, which is your phone, versus the Bible, which is the Word of God? That's hard, isn't it? Hey, it's just as convicting for me, because guess what? I have one, too, that I carry around with me. Of course, it's for work purposes and ministry. Um, and I have a Bible on it, as I've always told Brandon. When you see me on my phone in service, I have the, I know. You don't have to justify that to me. You just have to justify it to God. If you're on something other than the Bible in a church service, that's up to you. That's not up to me. But the truth is, we have images. Can I toss this back? Corbin, good catch. Now, there are other images. There's uh, what we call greenback. You know what a greenback is? Money, right? There's an image on there. Now, we also have a little phrase on there that says, in God we trust. But sometimes we don't really care about that phrase as much as what we can get with the image that's on the money and the num numerical value of it, right? Have you ever bought things with that money? that God would not approve of? And it says, in God we trust on there? That's pretty harsh, isn't it? You see, the truth of the matter is, 
To live as Christ lived means to sacrifice certain things. To be with others, to be fully present with others means to sacrifice certain things. We cannot, we should not, we must not give in to the temptation to allow other things to take precedence over our relationship to God. For God so loved the world. Well, how much more should we so love God? God is with us. He's gone to great lengths to be with us. The God of all creation emptied himself so he could take on human flesh and dwell among us, John says in John chapter one. What did God give up? What did God risk stepping into a physical body to be with us? And I guess the question this morning is, what are you risking to be with others? Now, being with others doesn't mean we throw caution to the wind and we just do haphazardly things that we shouldn't do. What it does mean is we have to be with others the way God has first been with us. We have to understand what does it mean to be present as God is present with us. Do you think God is patient with you? How much more should we be patient with others that really get under our skin? Do you think God has a joy for you that he, he loves you and he glories in the idea of who you are? Maybe not what you do, but who he created you to be. That he says, oh, I love them so much and I want so much for them. I just wish they would understand that. You think God has peace? I think God is peace. And I think he brings peace to those who are willing to receive it. But he also expects us to bring peace to the surroundings and the environments we are in. So how are we to be present with others? You get on with it, Brandon. We don't have much time, right? <clears throat> First thing is to be available. Be available. Some of us are so busy that we can't be available. Bob Goff, if you have uh, gone through his first session or if you've read his book, he says he quits one thing every Thursday. The Love Does book that we've had at the Welcome Centers, you'll read that in there. He quits one thing every Thursday. <laughs> he also, it, that's a good question, I'm going to get there. What does that mean? Hold that thought. He also cuts the left-hand pocket out of his pants. So I've got stuff in my pocket. So look, I'm going to pull my pocket out. You'll see there's a white pocket with a little bit of lint. So he keeps the right-hand pocket intact, but he, every pair of pants he has, he says he cuts with scissors the left pocket out. Why do you think that is? Well, he says, I want it to be a tangible reminder. There's only so much I can hold on to in life. And if I put something in the left-hand pocket, it's just gonna fall right through. I can only hold so much in a pocket. Why do I need two? You quit something every Thursday. So what does he quit? He doesn't quit his wife or his children. He doesn't quit good things. He quits those things that are inconsequential because like material possessions, walk through your house and tell me how much stuff you need to get rid of. Like material possessions, emotional baggage we carry around with us, don't we? Or things, and I mentioned this in my class this morning, maybe you need to quit chewing gum because it's become a habit, right? Or quit smoking. 
Or, or maybe you need to quit, I don't know, saying a certain word that doesn't really amount to a hill of beans or could be better left unsaid. This become a habit for you to say, what are you going to quit? See, for us to be truly available, we have to quit something because you can only carry so much. He, he said, we are, Bob says, we are much like hoarders in our emotional and mental lives because we carry around so much stuff. And I see this as a pastor, people that are weighed down by the burdens of life, not because of the things they have, specifically material-wise, but because of the things they carry emotionally. Maybe you need to quit worrying about this thing or that thing. Maybe you need to give up this habit of talking down about yourself. Maybe you need to give up this, this, uh, this habitual process of holding a grievance against somebody else. In order to be fully available, you have to have the bandwidth to be available. And if you don't have the bandwidth to be available, then you are so inwardly focused that nothing else outside of you matters. Nothing else that doesn't affect you matters. How many of us are so ingrown that we can't see others for how God created them? We can't see them as image bearers of God. Instead, we get irritated with them because of how they make us feel or because of what we think about them on the outside. You see, if God had that same mentality toward us, I don't think he would have come to be with us in the form of Jesus. I don't think that name would linger as God with us, Emmanuel. If God had come just to show us what he wanted from us, then we would have a different story this morning. But you know, Jesus says something. He says, I, your master and your Lord, I haven't come to be served, but I've come to serve and to give my life as a ransom. Talk about the ministry of presence. Are we willing to be that present even with those that reject us? Are we willing to be available to some of the most hard-nosed people in life? It's easy to be with those that are lovable, but can you be with those that are not so lovable? We all have been unlovable at times, and Jesus has never given up on us. God has never given up. On us. If you still have breath to breathe, God has not given up on you. And He's available to you, and He expects you to be available to others. But you can't fully be available to others unless you have God in you through belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. Because you'll always be searching for more to fill that empty space. When only God was create, only God created you to have Him in that space. The second thing is we need to be salt. What does it mean to be salt? What does it mean to be? You are the salt of the earth. Now Jesus is talking to those who believe in Him. He's not talking to those who don't believe in Him or don't have a faith in Him. He's saying you are the salt of the earth. What does salt do? It has function. Salt 
adds flavor. It enhances what we eat, doesn't it? Too much salt makes something unpalatable, right? If you salt something too much, it's like, oh, I cannot chew that. I can't get this down. And if you don't have salt for things that are unsalty, it's like, oh, it's very bland, isn't it? So what is a believer in Christ to be? A believer in Christ is to be someone who enhances the atmosphere that they, that they are in, their environment. I've seen Christians that are way too salty and they're unpalatable. They are offensive to the point of people saying, ah, oh, yeah, no, thanks, but no thanks. But I've also seen Christians that don't walk around with a chip on their shoulder, that don't walk around with the Bible in their hand to beat people over the head with it. Instead, they live out their faith on a daily basis. They have hidden God's words in their heart that they might not sin against him, and they don't need to carry the word because they are walking in the word. They are living the word because they've chewed on the meat of the word. And so they're walking in faith, not in sight. And as they go about what they're doing, they enhance their environment. That doesn't mean they make everybody happy. Actually, people may get quite cross with them at times because they aren't saying or doing things the way they would do them. Or they might look at the believer in Christ who is enhancing the atmosphere and saying, oh, look at that goody two-shoes. Being salt doesn't mean making everybody happy, but what it does mean is enhancing your surroundings rather than diminishing them. The second thing that salt does is it purifies. I mentioned in my class this morning, and I can't find it around here, but I love country ham. I love country ham. I grew up on country ham. Thanksgiving, Christmases, I could go to the local restaurant. You could, country ham's always on the menu. McDonald's, actually they don't have it at McDonald's, but they should. <laughs> country ham, how do you get country ham? You don't have to refrigerate it. It's, it's cured by salt. It's, it's you in, rub it and ingrain it with salt till it kind of dehydrates some because the salt has so purified it and kept the bacteria from invading the tissue that it makes it palatable to eat. You see, the believer in Christ is not only to enhance the surroundings, to, to enhance the flavor of the environment they're in, they are also to purify the environment they're in. Read Acts chapter 5. You read a story about Ananias and Sapphira, and you think, God is mean. But think about this. The early church, they were a holy people that has so committed themselves to God and each other. They were in love with God, and they loved each other as they loved themselves, that sin was not able to penetrate the body of Christ. But when sin penetrated the body of Christ through a man and woman, husband and wife named Ananias and Sapphira, because they lied about something to the church and they lied to God, what do you think happened? They killed over dead. Ananias first. He sold a field, he and his wife, and they gave a portion of that money to the church. But guess what? They told Peter and the rest of the apostles, yeah, we gave you all the money. But they only gave a portion of the money and they kept a portion. 
Was it wrong for them to do that? No. Peter basically even says, it wasn't, or you could have kept the whole amount of money. Nobody cares. But the fact that you lied about it is a sinful thing. And Ananias goes, and I would fall over, but I'd break something. And that's what he does. He just croaks right there. You see, I think God is so merciful in withholding judgment on the body of Christ today. Because if his full presence was here the way it was in the early church, I fear there may be Ananias and Sapphira falling out in the aisles and not because they were slain in the Holy Spirit. He goes to Sapphira. Peter does. She's at home. She doesn't know her husband's just died. And he's, he, he kind of confronts her. He's given her an opportunity. Did The money you gave the church... Sapphira, is that all the money you got for the sale of the field? Again, it's not because he wanted the rest of the money, but because he was giving her an opportunity to fess up and repent for the lie that she and her husband had perpetuated. And what happens? Oh yeah, that's every bit of it. Oh, Sapphira, if only you'd come clean. There are men waiting outside to take you away, just like they've taken your husband away. And we know that they carried her off because she died. We can't be purifying if there's sin in our life. If we need to be purified, then we have to lean into God, confess our sins, repent of our sins, and surrender our lives to him. That's the only way we can be free and purified from sin and death. And we have to walk in the ways of Christ. And when we do stumble after that, we don't lie about it. We don't cover it up. Instead, we confess it yet again, knowing the grace of God covers that multitude of sins. We have to be salt, but we also have to be light. We are flavor enhancers of our environments. We are purifying agents in the environments we're in, but we are also to be light. And we who have the light of Christ in us should never hide that under a basket or a bowl. We should never shun or shy away from opportunities to speak truth. Think about that for a minute. Are there people you know that are believers in Christ? Now, they don't have to go around saying it, but you know that they are because they live it. But then there are others who claim to be believers in Christ and you couldn't spot them in a crowd. Maybe it's a coworker. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, but they go out and live like the devil the rest of the week. Something doesn't square away, does it? In that kind of a setting. If your life does not affect your surroundings because of your belief and faith in Jesus Christ, the question is, where's your faith and belief? Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. Do you know that? This sweet, loving Jesus who's always giving and always forgiving says, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of me. I know it's going to be hard 
to be my follower in this world. And when you're rejected, when you're persecuted, when you are uh, talked down to and mocked, remember they did that to me first. What does light do? We aren't to hide it. We're to set it up for everybody to see. It doesn't mean we're to be arrogant walking around, look at my light, woo! All right, that's not the kind of light we're to be. Because think of this for a moment. Have you ever been in a dark, dark, dark room? Literally, where there is no light coming in through the cracks of the windows or the door or anything else. There's no little red light on an electronic device anywhere. It is pitch black dark. Have you ever been in that kind of a space before? What happens if you strike a match? It gives light to the whole room. Now, it may not be glowing bright, but it illuminates everything in sight. Just a small little match in a big dark place. I read some statistics about how you can see the light of a candle from so many um, thousands of feet away in a dark space because even the smallest amount of light can illuminate a dark space. But he calls us a city on a hill too. Have you ever been in an airplane and flown over a big city like London or New York or Washington DC or any place like that in the middle of the nighttime? It's bright. Even the small towns you fly over at nighttime, even in the United States and some of the more rural areas are bright with the street lamps, the house lights. See, we are to be cities on a hill. Again, not to be arrogant about the light that we have, but to be this light that illuminates. So what does light do? Light illuminates what is in the dark. So when you're with somebody, the part of being present with somebody is being light. And when you are light in somebody else's life, it sometimes illuminates what is hidden. It doesn't mean you're like, ah, ha, 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 I see that thing. <laughs> you're going to hell. You know, that's not the kind of light we are to have, right? The light we have illuminates what is in the dark because light shows us what is real and what is true. And when we can see what is real and what is true, we notice what obstacles lay in the way that would cause us to stumble. But if we're walking in the dark, what happens? If we have no light in us, then basically this is what happens in the world around us. We walk and we stumble through life. How many people do you know that are stumbling through life right now, tripping over everything in their way? Boom, 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 boom. And they are beaten and they are bloodied and they are bruised and they are broken. First off, because they don't have the light of Christ in them. Either they've rejected him or they don't even know about him. We who are light shouldn't be saying, oh, shame, shame, shame. Look at that person, horrible person they are. What should we be doing? We should be walking along, illuminating the obstacles for them. Well, I don't want to be a judge. I, I can't go over and illuminate what's wrong in their lives. I didn't say that. Jesus didn't say that. But he did say when we walk together, we're stronger, didn't he? Ecclesiastes, quarter three strands can't be broken. What do we do? 
We are to walk with others who keep stumbling and falling and stumbling and falling and stumbling and falling. As the light of Christ, we are to illuminate those things that are causing them pain and anguish and gently show them the way to Christ. It's not about praying a prayer as much as it is about showing them the one who wants them to surrender completely to them. And see, we think our job's done when we do a prayer, right? Well, I led three people to Christ this week. Well, okay, have you followed up with them? Are you still walking with them? See, we aren't called to make converts. We are called to make disciples. And what is a disciple? A follower of Christ. And we are to walk with others and helping them to become completely committed followers of Christ. That's our vision as a church. It's not Brandon's vision. Well, Brandon, good job. Keep it up. You're the pastor here. Or there's several other pastors. No, that is your job. And if we're failing in our job to equip you to do that job, then shame on us. You're to be salt. You're to be light. You're to be available. I can't make you that way. You have to make a commitment to do that. And here's what that commitment looks like this morning. Baby steps. Baby steps of love. It's what we're calling it this series. Baby steps of love. Your first homework assignment for this week is to quit something. Not your spouse, not your kids, not your job, unless God is completely saying, well, not your spouse or your kids. That, that is not biblical, all right? Unless God's calling you to quit your job and you've got somewhere else to go so that you can continue to support your family, don't quit your job. Because you're not going to walk out of here, Brandon said i got to quit my job. Because some of you want to quit, and I know you do. But allow God to provide you another opportunity before you quit something. But quit something that you know you shouldn't be doing or that you've carried around that you shouldn't be carrying around. Maybe you should commit to doing this once a week. Quit something. Maybe, maybe you need to do like Bob Goff and cut the, the pocket out of your, uh, the left-hand pocket out of your pants. And you're like, no, that'll really, I can't stand to cut fabric. But some of you wear holes all in your clothes. You might as well cut the pocket out of one of your jeans to remind you, you need to be letting go of stuff as you pick up stuff. I can only carry so much in my right pocket if I don't have a left pocket to put it in. You need to make sure that you're letting go as much as, as you're holding on to stuff. And secondly, who can you be present with? I'm not going to give you a long homework assignment on this. As our worship team comes forward to close this out this morning, I want you to quit one thing this week. It might be smoking, chewing gum, chewing tobacco. It could be anything. I don't know what you do. Quit something this week that's not benefiting you or benefiting God in any way. The second thing I want you to do this, this week is to take one hour between now and next Sunday. One hour. How many hours do you have in a week? 168. You have 168 hours a week. Do you know that? Do an exercise. Actually, I'm not going to have you do that exercise. That's too much. What I want you to do is take one of those 168 hours to be present with someone. 
I'm not going to tell you who to be present with. Some of you have had somebody keep coming to your mind because the Lord is laying somebody on your heart. And that one person has continued to come up in your mind, come up in your heart, come up in your thought processes. You're like, why do we keep thinking about this person? Well, maybe the Holy Spirit's trying to say, hey, I need you to spend time with them. Maybe it's somebody that you normally wouldn't spend time with. Now, don't put yourself in a position to where you're going to get hurt physically, okay? But maybe you need to take a risk and step into into a, a conversation with somebody. Take an hour between now and next Sunday to be fully present with someone in need. Allow the ministry of presence to be your act of love in someone else's life. Shut off your phone, your computer, all electronic devices, and be fully present with them, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Be all present. Don't focus on you. Because the tendency will be like it is with me. When somebody says something that I relate to, I'm like, oh, oh, I got a story. Right? Don't tell them your story. You let them tell you their story. Well, I don't know what to ask. Ask them questions. Tell me what is one dream in life that you've always had, but that you had to give up. Tell me about that. How hard was that for you? Tell me about something, tell me about your upbringing, no matter how hard it is. Be willing to step into that with them and let, you, and let them tell you their story. Don't fill the air with senseless words. Don't make it about you. Take an hour and focus completely on somebody else over breakfast, lunch, dinner, coffee, and shut all the rest of the world out for just an hour, one hour out of 168 hours this week. And here's your, here's, here's, you know, you got to bring homework back to get a grade on it. <laughs> I'm not going to grade you. But I do want you to come back next week. And on your communication cards and your worship folders, there's a little comment section down there. And in a couple sentences, could you tell me how that went? Some of you are going to be, uh, I, I, I can hear you. It really was horrible. But at least you tried. Don't walk away from that experience with regret. Walk away with it having learned something. And who knows? Maybe that one hour could change another person's life. Maybe it could change yours. Let's pray. Father, you are holy, righteous, you're good. And I thank you for making the sacrifice to come and be with us through Jesus Christ. May we be present with others. May we do love actively rather than just merely saying that we love. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. 
Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.